Again, a reminder for us all, or even for you visiting here today, our pastor is presently on sabbatical, though present. We're grateful for his opportunity to have a a needed period of rest. He will be back in the pulpit, Lord willing, in two weeks. And until then, today and next Sunday, you get the opportunity to practice what 1 Corinthians 13 says, that love endures all things, including these sermons. 1 Corinthians 13, if you're taking notes this morning, the title for this message is The Main Ingredient. The main ingredient. Let's look to the Lord and ask for his help as we come to study his word. Father in heaven, we look up to you and ask that now, as we open up your word, that you would be the ultimate preacher, that you, by means of your spirit, would open our minds to understand what your word says. Our prayer this morning is simple. Convict, convert, correct, Comfort, conform. We ask this for our Savior's sake. Amen. What is love? Have you ever asked this question? Has there ever been a period in your life where your mind was particularly drawn to this topic? If so, it must mean that you're human. Because humans for a long time have thought long and hard about what love is. Some would turn to the most analytical, joining the ranks of philosophers who throughout the centuries have waxed eloquently answering this question. But it seems most would turn to the poets and join their rank as they too have sought to answer this question What is love? These poets have sought to answer the question by means of sonnets, by means of soliloquies, but it seems many have turned to song, musical poets. You sit and you ask, what do we mean? Well, a quick search on the internet will bring up song titles where you find evidence that many have sought to answer and explain by means of musical poetry, what is love? Many attempts, many expressions seeking to answer this question, a sampling of them include the following, can't buy me love, endless love, higher love, tough love, bleeding love, tainted love, love spelled L-O-V-E, Love story, I just called to say, I love you. I will always love you. You've lost that loving feeling. Or even asking, what about love? Or maybe appropriately, because of something that took place in town last night, all you need is love. And yet with all of these poets and all the people who listen in and ask the question, what is love? It seems as if for many, it is indescribable and yet undefinable. And yet for the Christian, we know that this question can indeed, must indeed be answered. Because God has spoken. The very author You could even say producer, director, and actor in this world 
By means of his speech, where he, the ultimate authority, reveals reality in his word, he's answered this question in our passage this morning. We find its fullest expression, its most detailed answer, as he uses his servant, the Apostle Paul, as he writes to the church in Corinth. Again, by means of recap from last week, as Paul writes to the church at Corinth, he writes to a church filled with issues, filled with dysfunction. And he writes as a shepherd to lovingly correct and lovingly even challenge them. And as we come to 1 Corinthians 13, we find ourselves in a section in the overall letter of 1 Corinthians Uh, chapters 12, 13, and 14, as he hones in on maybe the most pressing issue, that of spiritual gifts. Where those in the church at Corinth were totally missing the point of these gifts, instead of being used, looking outward to benefit, to bless, to build up the body, rather they turned inward and sought to flaunt and misuse these spiritual gifts. And so Paul, uh, thinking of these gifts, bringing up the topic of love in verses 1 through 3, stresses the absolute necessity of love. And the sad reality that at the church in Corinth, this was the missing ingredient. He brings up their speech. He brings up their knowledge. He brings up even their sacrifice. And he says, you can have all of these things, and yet like an equation, if you subtract, if you minus, if you're missing love, what does it equal? Nothing. Challenging word for them, a challenging word for us today. You and I too can have all the speech, all the knowledge, make great sacrifice. And yet if this biblical love is missing in our heart, not motivating such actions, in God's perspective, it equals nothing. The missing ingredient, Paul then will now shift to our verses this morning, verses 4 through 7. As the church in Corinth was quite humbled, now he will teach them, here is the main ingredient. You're missing love. You need love. I will now portray love. All of the perfections of love. As he walks through verses 4 through 7. Words that you and I too this morning need to hear. Let's then look to verses 4 through 7 of 1 Corinthians 13. Again, verses you and I are quite familiar with but you and I desperately need to hear as well. God's word reads, beginning in verse 4 of 1 Corinthians 13, Love is patient. Love is kind and is not jealous. Love does not brag and is not arrogant, does not act unbecomingly. It does not seek its own, is not provoked, does not take into account a wrong suffered does not rejoice in unrighteousness, but rejoices with the truth, bears all things, believes all things, hopes all things, endures all things. 
in all of the Bible, here most concentrated, here most detailed, is God's definition of what love is. And it's as if the Apostle Paul holds up the diamond called love and will portray it by means of its many glorious facets. Now, before we begin to walk through those facets, let me simply remind you of something that we said last week, something that needs to be in the back of our mind as we walk through these verses. That in a most general sense, if you are going to define love, you could define it like this, that it is an affection expressed in action. Let me repeat that. Affection expressed in action. Paul will demonstrate that with all that he writes. In fact, with all of these descriptors, if you're looking closely, Paul will actually communicate this by means of many verbs. Do you remember that part of speech? The verb that is the vehicle, the engine for action. Love, as Paul defines it and God defines it, wraps up this explanation of love by means of verbs. In other words, love is not a feeling only. Love is not merely positive thoughts or positive vibes. It's not good intentions or grand ideas. It is not dormant, but rather dynamic and demonstrable. Love will be seen in action. Verbs, 15 to be exact. Paul will write positively, explaining this is what love is. Paul will write negatively, this is what love is not. Bringing both together, painting this picture that is well-rounded, and also note, all in the present tense, meaning this is to be characteristic. This is always to be in season. This is the love that is to define us always. We'll even add, looking at these verses, appreciating that before the grammar, the sentences were quite complex. After the next section, it too is quite complex. But here, defining love, simple, straightforward, direct. Fifteen verbs. You know, I love the Puritans. I, I thought this morning I could preach like a Puritan and have 15 points to the outline. But I sense as I say that, oxygen is escaping the room. We'll rather do this. We'll group some together. Some we'll cover this week. Some, Lord willing, we'll finish next week. Thinking of love like a diamond, looking at its facets, there are nine facets in all. And as we express these facets and tell you these facets to keep the focus of love that it is active. Each facet will be written like this, that love exercises, and you'll hear nine different terms and to help us that we don't be passive as we hear this. We'll even add these verses are very practical, very helpful. We need God's grace to live this out. 
And even as we listen to a sermon that is quite practical, let's not fall into the trap of immediately thinking, oh, if only so-and-so could hear this message. No, we need to listen first person this morning. I need this message. And to ask the question, do I love like this? The first facet then. Found at the beginning of verse 4. We ask, what is love? God answers in these verses. Love exercises charity. Love exercises charity. Now, even as you hear that word, don't immediately think of the individual with the bell ringing, trying to solicit money for the Salvation Army. We don't mean charity like that. We mean charity in the older sense that many Christians often used it. Uh, It's fuller sense. It's grander sense that love is charitable rather bring the first two descriptions together, that love exercises patience and kindness. That's what we mean. Love exercises charity. And as Paul writes this, immediately we know these were not the actions displayed in Corinth. As they flaunted their gifts, They were short with one another. As they had many divisions, they lacked kindness toward each other. As they interacted with one another, love was missing. And because of that, there was not patience. There was not kindness. Therefore, there was not charity. But rather, Paul says, the more excellent way, the way of biblical love, love will always exercise charity as it interacts with other people. He writes first that love is patient. A term that means simply uh, bearing up under provocation without complaint. A term that means to be slow towards, uh, to be long-enduring, to be long-suffering. It means simply to be patient, remain patient, and if necessary, wait patiently. You may sit here this morning, like certainly some in Corinth would hear it, and think, oh, yes, great, let me check off the box. Got that down. If you get to know me, I'm, I'm pretty laid back. Go with the flow, easy going. And you know, that might be true with circumstances. But are you that way with people? Because that's what Paul drives at as he uses this term. It's not simply being patient and passive and laid back with events, but rather patient, actively patient and charitable toward people. Love is patient with people. That's the focus. Evidence of that is seen as if you were to turn over, you don't have to, but you can write down 1 Thessalonians 5.14. Paul there will use the exact same term as he thinks of life within the church, and he will even categorize people in the church according to a few categories. The unruly, the faint-hearted, the weak. He says the unruly, they need to be admonished. The faint-hearted, they need to be encouraged. The weak, they need to be helped. 
And then he says, and with all, there's to be patience. The focus is upon people, all people, every person. And you know, as I do, within the church, there are all kinds of people just as there was in Corinth. And yet back in Corinth, there was the opposite. They were short-tempered. They were impatient. So much so that you learn in chapter 6, with other Christians, they were so short-fused and short-tempered, they were beginning to take one another to court. That's not the way of love. Rather, love exercises charity. Love will take time to stop and think. How how long did it take for me to learn this biblical truth? How long did it take for me to recognize this pattern in my life and to finally turn from it and grow? Love will stop and ask the question, in all of that journey I've been on, the life that I've lived, wasn't God patient towards me? And then it will even ask, weren't there other people who walked me in that journey and they expressed patience towards me? If God has been patient with me, if others have been patient with me, and knowing full well how I lived, how I acted, how I carried myself, and yet rather than writing me off that they kept walking with me, In light of that, then I will show that I will exercise that towards others. But not only exercising the element of patience and charity, also actively exercising the element of kindness in charity. Love, Paul says, doesn't just bear with people. It will go further. It will bless people. He says love is patient. Love is kind. Again, a term Paul uses here, only used here in all of the New Testament, and a term that is only found later within Christian writings. Perhaps the Apostle Paul, as he reflected on love, coins this unique term, trying to capture that amongst Christians with biblical love, there is this kindness that's not found anywhere else. A kindness that is bountiful, courteous, generous, even useful. A a charity expressed in patience and kindness that is large-hearted with open hands. As Matthew Henry once put it, this love not only seizes an opportunity of doing good, but it searches for them. Or as John MacArthur described it, Uh, Patience will take anything from others. Kindness will give anything to others. Or as one commentator put it, it's simply looking out and thinking about others and recognizing everybody carries a heavy load. Just as I have burdens and just as I have a heavy load, so do you have a burden, have a heavy load, and that shapes then how I respond, how I react. And then when encountering this kindness, when being on the receiving end of this kindness, how refreshing and relieving, even unexpected it can be. 
It reminds one of what the early church father Tertullian said. Writing in a time where to be a Christian, you were an outsider. Frowned upon and even attacked and mocked by the pagan unbelievers. And Tertullian writes that if you were to go back to the second century, the kindness of Christians was so evident and it even so surprised the pagan unbelievers that they began to call Christians, not the term uh, Christian, Christiani, but rather a play on the very term kindness, Christiani, calling them the kind ones. We could simply pause and ask if if others were to interact with us, other pagan unbelievers were to spend time with us, would they say, he, she, they're known for their kindness? Or would you and I just blend in with the rest that are impatient? and unkind, like many that populate this planet. Love exercises charity, showing patience, showing kindness. Do you? That's the first facet of love. Love exercises charity. We move second to the next facet, also found in verse 4. Love exercises charity, but not only that, love exercises humility. And this is an attempt to bring together the next three descriptions of love, all wrapped under this facet. And this is even where the Apostle Paul will begin to describe love by what it is not. You see in the passage that love is not jealous. It does not brag. It is not arrogant. Rather, love exercises humility. Or we could think bringing these three descriptions together under this overarching facet that love exercises humility, you could think of it like this. How you view others how you want others to view you, and how you view yourself. How you view others, how you want others to view you, how you view yourself. Think first how you view others. Paul says, you don't view others with the green eyes of envy. He says, love is not jealous. Love and jealousy is like oil and water. In no way can they mix. And to think jealous here, it is a deep-seated envy, so much so that one begins to grow resentful, even spiteful. It is looking upon others, viewing others, seeing all sorts of things. Their successes, their achievements, their stature, their blessings, their beauty. shrinks back down in the heart and begins to envy what is seen. Begins even to have negative feelings, resentful feelings. 
Oh, him again? Selected again? Recognized again? Oh, give me a break. Seriously? And how that that attitude, that jealousy abounded in Corinth. Again, the rival faction spirit. All these believers even identifying with their favorite preacher, yet masking the jealousy within. Paul will say in chapter 3, verse 3, that there was jealousy and strife among them. And then he will even say, you are acting fleshly. In other words, not like a Christian. And how this jealousy, like an acid, drip, 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 begins to eat away and burn a hole in what ought to be this bond of unity amongst believers. Again, looking at this jealousy that can be active in the heart, in their heart as in ours, it can look and say, I want what someone else has. Or it can say, I see what someone else has, and I wish they didn't have it. Wishing ill upon others. Slowly, but surely, and even strongly boiling inside. You know, taking a step back, thinking about jealousy, you could think of it like this. Jealousy is its often fed by discontentment. It's nurtured by pride. Trained by grumbling. All three coming together and sitting back with jealousy, with envy, beginning to even act. I, I know better. I know better than the one who arranged it this way. Even to live with the presumption, I deserve better. I deserve different. You ever thought that? You know, you're partially right. You do deserve different. But you don't deserve better. But love, love exercising humility, love understands this. Love understands what one deserves. Love understands what one is. And rather, will begin to view others and see the successes and see the advancements and see the opportunities and love exercising humility. It sees it and it rejoices. It sees it and it celebrates. You even think, oh, how can I be helped? I sense this jealousy. How can I fight it? How can I guard against it? Train yourself to say two words in the heart and even with the mouth. Praise God. Praise God for the brother's success. Praise God for this sister's advancement. God has cared for me. God has so blessed me. And he blesses another. Oh, how can I not praise him? You know, you could take some time to read in your Old Testament the account with David and his close friend, Jonathan. Do you remember the family that Jonathan belonged to? He was the son of none other than King Saul. In other words, him awaiting to become king, awaiting the throne and all that it offered, 
But suddenly to see God has other plans, God will remove the kingship from Saul and his line and transplant it to David. And yet as they interacted and as they were friends, is there any hint, is there any whiff of jealousy with Jonathan? Oh no. He exercised humility and he rejoiced with his friend's advancement. That's how love will view others as it exercises humility. But more than that, it also affects how we want others to view us. Paul says, love does not brag. What does that mean? Love doesn't heap praise on oneself. Love doesn't go about vocally as a braggart. Literally, the picture here is love isn't a windbag. Love doesn't flaunt one's opportunities. Love doesn't parade one's accomplishments. Love doesn't bait people. You ever experience this? So wanting others to view me a certain way, so wanting others to recognize what I've done that I'll throw out the bait, I'll say a few things, hoping that they'll bite and respond with praise. Drawing attention to oneself, baiting others to praise. You know, those in Corinth, they went about flaunting their gifts. They were these windbag braggarts. So much so that Paul will tell us in chapter 3, they're bragging about their wisdom. Chapter 8, they're bragging about their knowledge. Chapter 14, they're bragging about their spirituality. But you know, the real tragedy in bragging and boasting is that it begins to take the praise that should be directed vertically or even appropriately horizontally. And like a thief, it tries to steal it for oneself. A glory hound robbing it from God. You ever wrestle with that? You ever inside so want that praise now? Friend, I can tell you, you can have that praise now. You can so live and so act, wanting, entering into that ear canal, the vaunted praise of people. Much like a group in the Gospels, the Pharisees. You can take time, write down Matthew chapter 6 and read what Jesus says there, that here was a group so wanting to practice their righteousness before men that Jesus will even warn, beware of doing that. And he'll give examples. These Pharisees would go about with their giving and with their praying in such a way publicly baiting the people to recognize, to praise them for their great spiritual acts. Do you remember what Jesus says two times? Truly I say to you, they have their reward in full. Is that what you want? Is that what you're after? Having that reward, that praise now from men? Or would you rather wait and settle 
for the reward that God will give later. Oh, that's the better way, friend. That's the way of love. Waiting, looking, even so acting, not to brag, not wanting people to recognize one in a certain way, but like Proverbs 27.2, let another praise you and not your own mouth. Or we could even update in a contemporary form, not your own post, not your own story, not your own text. Love exercises humility with how it views others, with how it wants others to view yourself, but also with how you actually view yourself. He says love is not arrogant. Simply stated, love does not have an exaggerated, puffed-up opinion of oneself. To use an older term, love doesn't think that it's the bee's knees. You know, the way you carry yourself, the way you think of yourself, uh, you see it often with young men, be on the alert. Suddenly they develop this swagger. Was it a problem in Corinth? Oh, yes. Seven times Paul will use this term for arrogance, six of which show up in 1 Corinthians. He'll even say explicitly, chapter 4, verse 18, chapter 5, verse 2, you have become arrogant. And of course, it goes with the prior two. Someone who begins to be jealous, someone who begins to envy, someone who begins to brag is someone who's going to carry themselves quite arrogantly, thinking I'm wise in my own eyes. I'm quite sure, quite confident in myself and my abilities. It reminds one of the story that the theologian S. Lewis Johnson once told about Muhammad Ali. Muhammad Ali was getting on a plane, sat in his seat. The flight attendant came up to Ali and said, Sir, you need to buckle your seatbelt. To which Ali replied, Superman don't need no seatbelt. To which the flight attendant replied, Superman don't need no plane. And we laugh. And yet subtly in our Christian life, have we begun to live and function as if we are Superman, Super Wonder Woman. You know, a chief way this can be evidenced is simply to stop and look at your own prayer life. Is there this active demonstration that I am actually dependent upon God? I need his help and I will actually acknowledge that? Or have we become so self-sufficient, self-satisfied, so arrogant to live as if I can be independent from him? In fact, the irony, the oxymoron of a proud Christian, uh, the Puritan Stephen Charnock once said, proud Christian, proud Christian, that's as much a contradiction as to say a humble devil. If all people would know us, they ought to know us by way of this humility, the way of love that will immediately, when it recognizes within the heart these elevated, exaggerated thoughts of oneself, to turn from it, to repent of it, to call it what it is, and to confess it, and then actively exercising humility, sharing needs, 
asking for help, admitting wrongdoing, being quick to repent, going about being teachable, open to correction, even welcoming correction. You see someone like that, you then see love is at work in that person's life. Love, then, it exercises charity. It exercises humility. Third, Paul will tell us, love exercises modesty. The beginning of verse 5. Love does not act unbecomingly. You know, your translation might say love is not rude. That's on the right path. It's not, but it's more than that. The term Paul uses is very specific. Built into it is even this idea. There's a scheme. There's a standard. There's an accepted norm, a line or a limit. Is it defined by God? Yes, always, absolutely. But then even going further, that which socially and morally, uh, what the standards are, what's appropriate, informed by God's word, what it is that he values, what it is that he calls for us to avoid, And yes, it then can include not being rude, social standards, and not going against it, not going about rough around the edges, to use an older term, acting boorish, acting quite curmudgeonly. Not that. But again, the term is behaving disgracefully, behaving in a dishonorable way, behaving indecently. Beginning in the heart, it's a term that addresses attitude, actions, even appearance. It's been hot out recently. Days are getting longer. Nights are getting shorter. You know what that must mean? It's almost summer. Well then, as you and I look ahead and think of the calendar and plan our activities, if we're going to live the way of love as defined here, factoring then into our thinking, shaping our attitude, shaping our actions, even shaping our appearance, that love will exercise modesty. Now I know some of you might sit here and think, oh great, here goes the fundamentalist. We got a legalist behind the pulpit. Oh, of course, there are abuses with that. To look at someone and say, your hair can't touch the ears. Really? That's not that. Can there be abuses? Sure, but friend, this, with your eye on verse 5, this is 1 Corinthians 13, 5, that the way of love, love will exercise modesty. It will not act unbecomingly. And let me make clear, this is for all people, men and women. Men and women. How we all need to actively think and actively exercise modesty 
to even think for you parents, you can't just leave this up to your teenager. No, dad and mom, you actively need to help, train, teach, explain what this way of love is. Even to pose to them and help them ask themselves, would you say this? Would you do this? Would you wear this in front of dad and mom? In front of others at church? And to press this further, you know it, I know it. Not every outfit is automatically going to fit into this category. And I say again, not just women. Men need to hear this too. You need to hear it, I need to hear it. Beginning in the heart with the attitude, shaping the actions, shaping the appearance that love, love won't make the excuse, oh, but what about others? What about the sin that they need to deal with? Yes, that's true. But love begins with self. Love will look first to our own hearts and will press and will ask, am I exercising modesty? Looking ahead even to the next point, love will not just think of self, but will intentionally think of others. Not living, not acting, not wearing in a way to push the limit, to do what's edgy, to draw attention, to make a spectacle. Again, for men and for women, yeah, camping for a moment on modesty and appearance. You could ask three questions. Is it too short? Is it too tight? Is it too open? And to give some street cred, I, I did serve in student ministry, and I did observe this not just with ladies, but I will say also with men. Now, love will exercise humility. Love will exercise modesty. As Matthew Henry says, love behaves towards all people as becomes their rank. With reverence and respect to the, those older, with kindness and humility to those younger, with courtesy and goodwill towards all. You know, sometimes we have to wrestle with this, and that's why we're in a church family. We should be open, we should be honest to wrestle with, even to ask and seek help. That's the way of love. So love will exercise charity. Love will exercise humility. Love exercises modesty. Fourth and finally this morning, love exercises selflessness. Again, verse 5. It does not seek its own. It doesn't insist on its own way. That commentators note, it's almost as if Paul intentionally leaves it blank for you and I to fill in. Love does not seek its own praise, honor, profit, interest, plan, pleasure. 
Love doesn't live seeking to find oneself or invest in oneself or love oneself. No, love recognizes the truth evidenced all in Scripture. You and I already are quite naturally good at caring for self, thinking of self. Love then will go further. Love will pivot and shift to look outward, to look to others, and even adopt the mindset from Philippians chapter 2 that love does not simply look out for one's own interests, but will look out for the interests of others. Why? Because love and humility and selflessness will consider others more important than self. And yeah, that even touches what Paul touched earlier in 1 Corinthians chapter 8, chapter 9, chapter 10, Christian liberty, Christian freedom. Yeah, I might be free, but for the sake of others, I won't. All things are lawful, yes, but not all things edify. And as he says in 1 Corinthians 10, 24, let no one seek his own good but that of his neighbor. So as Paul holds up this diamond and in the light of God's word begins to show forth its glory, we've seen at least four facets. Love exercises charity. Love exercises humility. Love exercises modesty. And love exercises selflessness. Do you? You and I need to ask ourselves, in light of these facets, do I exercise these things? You and I then even need to take a step further and begin to ask others around us, would they say that we exercise these things? Or even on our knees before God to ask him, Lord, search my heart and reveal Do I live out? Do I practice these things? And you know, by way of application, what you can do, you can take each one of these facets and turn it into prayer. Lord, help me exercise charity. Lord, help me exercise humility. Lord, help me exercise modesty. Lord, help me exercise selflessness. And as you turn that into prayer, you know what you're doing? You are taking God's word and turning it back to him. Is that something you think he's going to hear? Is that a prayer do you think he'll answer? Oh, yes, friend. There are five more facets, Lord willing, we'll get to next time. But, you know, as you're sitting here and you're listening, perhaps you're recognizing, you know, as we walked through these verses, that that's not describing my life and my heart at all. And, you know, if that's true, could it be that this love doesn't take up residence in your heart? Could it be quite simply you're not actually a Christian? If that's true, you need not fret. God invites all to come to him on his terms to repent, and to believe the gospel. It means that you recognize the life I've lived, what I'm in even right now, that's sin in God's eyes. I'll turn from it. 
and to believe, not just to believe anything, but to believe the gospel that God gives, that Christ died for sinners. That you believe that and you even entrust yourself to this Savior. Friend, you do that, then then the Lord can cleanse, can forgive, and then even plant that love in your heart. And you can begin to watch it grow in your life. Lord, thank you for giving us this passage that details for us this main ingredient. Help us then, by your grace, to actively demonstrate love in all of its glorious facets. We ask this for our Savior's sake. Amen.